THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Cigarette at Omaha Deep below the metro area. It's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 506 of the Two Head Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Buck. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we'll be reviewing 10 of this Wednesday's comics, including Bitter Root, number one, and the return of Uncanny X-Men. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're going to discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, we're going to sit down with our buddy Jim Kettner, creator of Adult Crash, for an interview about his creative process and comic book makings. But before all that garbage, a public service announcement. Listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving should be punishable by prison time. Now, back to our show and some talk about this week's Nerd News! Stop it. (laughs) For Nerd News. A new Marvel Comics title named Old Man Quill. So Old Man is a thing now? Uh, Was announced by the publisher at the Luca Comics and Games Convention in Italy over the weekend. It's a thing. Panini Comics, who publish Marvel's comic books in Italy. And their delicious, delicious comics. (laughs) (laughs) They really need to call themselves Panini Press, right? Come on. (laughs) Come on. Uh, They also used to make those stickers. You remember in the 80s, there were those books you could get, and then you could buy packs of stickers and collect them all? Yeah? That was Panini? Yep. Uh, They shared the news online and provided pictures from the announcement with Marvel Editor-in-Chief C.B. Cebulski. Writer Ethan Sachs and artist Robert Gill are working on the new series, which is scheduled to launch in February of 2019. This will come one month following the planned Guardians of the Galaxy relaunch with writer Donny Cates and artist Jeff Shaw. I hate old man being a thing. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. Don't try and make it a thing. Old Man Logan was a fine story. We talked about things being made into things. It was kind of a stretch for them to bring him back and give him his own title. People seemed to like it, whatever. Mm. Uh, Old Man Hawkeye. To be fair, Old Man Logan was perfectly well written. Nobody cares about that character. Some people might. I don't Uh, know. Old Man Hawkeye at least spun out of that original story. Again. Makes a little sense. Pushing it a little far. Right. Old Manning random characters. It's not a thing. I, I hate it. Last week on the show, we got in an argument about people making things things. Where, like, things become things. We don't make them things. Yeah. Old man is not a thing. Stop well, it, they're Marvel. trying to make a thing. They're trying to. That's why it's not going to work. Stop it. Stupid. I agree. That's all I really had to say about that. Joe Grant Morrison isn't just a lunatic that writes comics that are too hard to follow. He's coming to TV, too. Oh, boy. Writer Grant Morrison has signed an overall TV deal with Universal Cable Productions to produce television shows based on his comic books, as well as create original TV projects, according to Variety. The first show to be produced under the deal is an adaptation of Morrison's comic book, The Invisible. Good luck. Which is reportedly projected for a 2020 release. No. You, I'm, I'm not saying don't do it. Go for it. Yeah, I would love to see you <laughs> I fucking d- I dare you. <laughs> Who is the poor bastard that's going to have to direct this one? Universal Cable also produces sci-fi's adaptation of Happy by Morrison and Derek Robertson, which is a very good show. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> But the Invisibles. This is this is a pretty big deal for Morrison, and the guy is a creative juggernaut. He is, but but I don't know how invisibles. some of this is gonna like even Happy, which is a weird idea. A guy with like this, he's a crazy person, and he has like it's a cartoon the, character. It's the that's, kidnapped girl's imaginary friend, right. That comes to him, that yeah. haunts him, basically. Yeah, right. And that's nuts. It's a crazy idea, but that can work. The Invisibles is. <laughs> So weird on so many fucking levels, like high weirdness, like it's, men in black, like interdimensional shit, talking dolphins. Like it is fucking crazy. Yeah. Like weird blood sex magic. Yeah. All kinds of I, bunker stuff. I have read both. Like, I couldn't even make it through the first trade of Invincible. I have read both and I love the Invisibles. I can't tell you what it's about. They're a team. Sort of. Sort of. (laughs) There's a bald one. Yeah, there's a bald one. There's one with curly red hair that looks kind of like Jill Thompson. Who's a dude. That's fine. I'm not, I'm just saying. Uh, And then there's one who is the uh, character that paints her face white. Is that Mm -hmm. the same character? Well, that's just, I mean, we're not even scratching the surface. No, no. Fucking weird it is. I I don't, I can't. I have no clue how they're going to do this. It's like if, 
No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like we said, you know what? Bring it on. Bring yeah. it on. I can't wait to see what, how they try. In other Hollywood news, a lot of Hollywood news this week. Mm-hmm. A television series based on the DC Vertigo series Survivor's Club is in development for the CW, according to Deadline. Uh, you may not remember Survivor's Club. No. It didn't last that long. Sweet, vicious writer Jared Freider, I don't even know what that is, is reportedly spearheading the project under Warner Brothers Television, working from the original comic by writers Lauren Bucus and Dale Halverson, along with artist Ryan Kelly. I have no memory of this. I remember reviewing the first issue and I never read beyond it. Here's kind of the synopsis of the series. The haunted house, the demonic doll, the cursed video game, the monstrous neighbor, the vengeful ghost, the killer imaginary friend. In 1987, a wave of horrors struck six communities around the globe. Six traumatized kids survived those events and grew up haunted by what happened to them. Almost 30 years later, the six survivors are drawn together in Los Angeles to confront a terrifying childhood nightmare that has returned, bringing up their own traumas and uh, and dragging their dark secrets into the light. Somehow they're all connected, but when personal horrors collide, they'll be forced to confront one another's demons. So it's sort of like, you know... The kid from Child's Play and Laurie Strode and like all all the young teens that survived these horrific events. Okay, this was 2015. It lasted nine issues. Right. It was when Vertigo was sort of still up in the air. A little bit all over the place, yeah. I bet it gets a relaunch pretty soon here. But like Ryan Kelly. Yeah, very tough. I remember it was... A fine book. Uh, again, I wish I had read more. I think we, we definitely. I love it. the concept of it of all these various like survivors of horror tropes, right? Coming together, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. kind of like a kind of like the traveling Woolberries of eighties horror movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the third Vertigo series. The CW has optioned for development following I Zombie and Lucifer, which is getting a second life on Netflix. Ugh. Great. And iZombie is going into its final season. I fucking love iZombie. Yeah, everybody loved it. It has zombie. gone off the rails. Everybody loved it. It's iZombie. so good. Lucifer, on the other hand, puke. God. You know what? People love that show. Because a guy's good looking, and they're not people that read the comics. They're just people that like watch the show and went, yeah, that's kind mm, of fun. I don't know. In further TV news. Yeah, I know. Actor Diego Luna will reprise his Rogue One, a Star Wars story role as Cassian Andor for an untitled live action TV series, which will take place before the events of Rogue One. No shit. (laughs) Spoiler. No, no, afterwards. Spoiler alert. (laughs) It's real boring. He died in the end of Rogue One. (laughs) Here's a little quote. Going back to the Star Wars universe is very special for me, said Luna in a statement on StarWars.com. I'm not going to even try and do his his accent because he's too beautiful of and a man. Because that would be <laughs> horribly offensive. He's but yeah, so sexy, you. though. I have so many memories of the great work we did together and the relationships I made throughout the journey. We have a fantastic adventure ahead of us and this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Regardless. As with most of the main characters in Rogue One, Cassian Andor seemingly perished. All of the the main characters, right? Seemingly perished. They They blew up the planet, right? (laughs) (laughs) The new series will recount tales of Andor's adventures before the events of Rogue One. Here's how StarWars.com describes the series. A rousing spy thriller will explore tales filled with espionage and daring missions to restore hope to the galaxy in the grip of a ruthless empire. Well, yeah, Star Wars, right? Yeah, but like Star Wars... Spies, though. Star Wars Wars. The series will premiere on Disney's forthcoming streaming service now called Disney Plus. I'll bet that name changes. It was already. It already changed. It was called Disney Play, and they changed it to Disney. Yeah, I bet it changes again. It's silly. No premiere. Better than Disney Play. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. No premiere date is announced. Rogue One is the Star Wars movie we can all agree on. But yeah, it, you you almost universal look right. The, all yeah. the like the anti Star Wars bros and the nerds come together with Rogue One. It was fucking kick ass. And Cassie and Andor is a very interesting character. We get to see Ooh, maybe uh, maybe Alan Tudyk uh, will come back to be the robot. That would be super cool. Oh, I would yeah. love that. The robot. K2SO? Yeah, K2SO. Yeah, he was fucking yeah, awesome. The robot. But Cassie and Andor was one of the first characters we saw in the Rebellion that was like a murderer. He was a bad guy. Well, he, you know, he, he, was sent, he was a spy. He did what had to be done. He was sent to do the hard job. Yeah. So yeah, we could possibly see like a darker, more spy, espionage, noir, yeah, sort yeah. Of Star Wars. And I'm into it, man. Like, Kick ass. So this Disney service is shaping up to be something pretty cool. Well, let's talk about that more on, let's talk about that on uh, cover to cover. Because I've got some thoughts and there's some news on it and I'd like to discuss yeah. it with everybody. But yeah. I mean, yeah, two Star Wars stories, and they confirmed that Loki is going on, is is going forward. Yeah, and they're saying they're launching with something like 500,000 movies? Well, no, the whole deal is that they're really pushing for original 
content because they're not going to have as much, they're not going to be able to compete with Netflix in terms of volume of available titles. Right. Well, that's just too bad because everything on Netflix kicks ass. A hundred percent of it. Yeah. You can just okay. blindly just choose and yeah, yeah. Here we go. Oh, what's this? The Ashton, Rogue King, Ashton Kutcher's <laughs> weird sitcom that the everybody ranch. Yeah. yeah. That's your nerd news this week, but I'm sure we missed a ton of shit while we were shoveling the snow from our fucking driveways. God damn it! Fucking climate change. So hit us up on THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover. Every Saturday, we broadcast on our Facebook Live page. We broadcast on our Facebook page using Facebook Live from 11.30 to 12.30 Central Standard Time and talk to us live. It's on THN Cover to Cover. It's your nerdy talk show. So damn it, call us. 402-819-4894. I don't want to hear this. Oh, man, you see the number so fast. You can't even keep it. The number is right there on our website. Go to twoheadednerd.com. It's there. Or go to Facebook, click call now if you can't be there live that's cool too you can still be on the show you can leave us a message whenever you would like about whatever you would like it's your show and if you live across the ocean and you don't necessarily want to make phone calls like that send us an mp3 to gmail.com we got a guy in australia does it sends fart noises every week love it yeah jimmy randall yeah world famous It's review time in the ziggurat, Matt, so let's clean up everything you knocked over while screaming about the news and talk about some of Wednesday, November 14th's new comics, shall we? I only knocked over two things, and they were both yours, so there. Let's do it. My review is of Uncanny X-Men number one, written by Ed Brisson, Matthew Rosenberg, and Kelly Thompson, with art by Mahmoud Asrar, with a backup story by Mirko Kolak, and what appeared to be uncredited Greg Land and Mark Bagley art, maybe? No, they credited them. Their names were in the credits. I didn't see their names credited there at all. And when I read there was solicit, a, it's going to credit other people. There was a second credits page when the backup story started that had all of their names on it. Was there? Yes. Uh, if you say so, I didn't. I read it. I looked right at it. Here's your solicit. The Children of the Atom are back! New ongoing series kicking off with a 10-part weekly epic, the flagship X-Men series that started all is back and better than ever, we promise! Starting with a mysterious and tragic disappearance, the X-Men are drawn into what might be their final adventure. X-Fan favorites, writers, yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to go into all that. But they do name Yildre Sinar and Pere Perez here, who I don't think did anything on this book. I believe that they are on the rotating team for the weekly. Oh, that will be coming. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes a little more sense, I suppose. Uncanny X-Men returns with a massive 72-page giant issue that sets a, well, kind of an odd X-team on a quest to find out who is kidnapping members and causing general mayhem in New York. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy to see a bunch of the young mutants back here from Academy X, right? Is that what they were? Like Glob and Armor and Rock They were from Grant Moore. Well, Glob was from Grant Morrison's new X-Men. Uh, Armor was from Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men. Rockslide was from Academy X? Uh, yeah, it was called um, New X-Men sometimes. It was called Academy X. And like Anole is here and stuff. Uh, Pixie yeah. is back again and seems to just constantly be in trouble or getting hurt. Once again, we've got an anti-mutant politician. This one is trying to introduce a mutant vaccine that will stop unborn children from developing mutant abilities. And a whole gaggle of forgotten 90s D-list villains show up. Although, I gotta say, I did chuckle when Forearm was there. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. <laughs> the main story moved fast, and it jumped around a lot, to the point where it felt a little clunky to me. There were too many X-Men in too many places doing too many things for me to get invested in any one. You have a team in Africa investigating a mystery, a team in North Carolina fighting a mutant liberation front, and Wildside was even there. <laughs> A team in New York fighting, well, no spoilers. And, of course, it's all linked, but the reader barely has time to begin to care about the different events. Ed, Matt, and Kelly are apparently writing this new uncanny run as a three-headed monster, King Ghidorah style, and their unified voice works pretty well. But at the same time, the plot and dialogue gets real clunky real fast. Now, to be fair, it's not until the backstories that the script and dialogue started feeling forced for me. While the main story was a little choppy, it wasn't bad, and the last page had a pretty cool payoff. The backup stories, on the other hand, 
Rosenberg and Kolak team for a short Bishop story that not only went nowhere, but the art was just bad. You understand that all four of those stories were linked, right? They were continuations. I do understand that, but this one did nothing for me. The panel of Bishop, there was a panel that featured Bishop holding some kind of impossibly small-looking laser gun that reminded me of the gun Tommy Lee Jones gives Will Smith in the first Men in Black film, and... I Tiny Cricket. He, I believe it was Noisy or Cricket. Or Noisy Cricket. Yes. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure he used the panel twice. I like Kolak. He's a good artist. This was bad. It did not look good. Jean sits down for a coffee waiting for a storm, but is instead joined by an old woman that delivers a ridiculously cryptic monologue and then vanishes into thin air, leaving Jean to go, oh, that was weird, but storm is here. And then they're attacked by mind-controlled civilians that suddenly have powers, <laughs> which leads to a knoll and armor in the sewer for reasons that were explained off-panel, I guess, with art by Mark Bagley that is not good. The two take a break from being attacked by another 90s throwback villain. That is in the sewers, again, for reasons, I'm sure. But they join Gene and Storm in a fight where the controlled civilians are now giant and turning into insects sometimes. (laughs) The whole book just moved at breakneck speed. It barely came together, and when it did, the story left me wondering what I read. For a first issue, especially the return of Uncanny X-Men, this felt thrown together at best and crammed full of filler at worst. I'm glad the students, some of the younger students are back. I'm tired of new groups of students being forgotten as soon as their book ends, but there's just too much going on here, too many X-Men, and it didn't come together. I'm giving this a skim it. I think you're being too cranky about it. Am I? I think, uh, I think it was big and bombastic and uh, I loved the huge cast. It's uncanny X-Men. I want to see all the X-Men. And I get that and I do too. But, and you know, wouldn't this be the place to, I don't know, bring Colossus back into the book, bring Colossus Cyclops in back into the book. Bring, Colossus is an astonishing bring X-Men. Bring the core X-Men in some, like there was a panel where Polaris was here. There was a, there was half a panel where Cannonball did something. North Star had one line. You know, like, I just, there was too much. And, and I feel like if we're going to redo this, we're going to start on Kenny X-Men again. Can we establish something first? Anything? Eh, you know what? I didn't mind it. In fact, I enjoyed it. I, it was a, it was a ride for sure. There was a lot going on, oh, yeah. but you're wrong about the things not being connected. Like everything that happened in the book was connected. I understand the stuff going connected. on in Africa was connected to the stuff going on in New York, which is connected to the stuff going on in North Krakalaka, but it was which so is connected to the stuff going on with Bishop and the kids in the sewers. It was so loosely connected. I get that this is going to come because together. It's a, it's a 10 part weekly story of which we have literally one chapter. Yes. Some of the art wasn't very strong. The Mark Bagley stuff wasn't great. And it's not uh, fair. It's not even fair to a guy like Mark Bagley or Mirko Kolak to go, hey, guess what? You get to follow Mahmoud Asrar. <laughs> like, and I think that like no. you might have some sort of fundamental memory loss when it comes to Mirko Kolak, because that didn't look any different than what I'm used to seeing from that artist. I like what he does. I did not like it here. It looked stiff. It looked weird. Bishop was wearing like a J crew outfit. There, it was casual Bishop. There was one panel where he was holding that gun in such a way that it looks absolutely ridiculous. Like maybe it could be pointed the wrong way. <laughs> the, the gun did look silly. Uh, <laughs> I just didn't well, get the, it. Maybe you just really wanted to dislike it. No, I didn't. I want to love it. I want the Uncanny X-Men to be great. I want this back. This doesn't feel like a first issue. It feels like it's all thrown together. It's a weird team. It's a strange setup. And there isn't a moment to take a breath. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. It's part one of a 10-part weekly story. The roller coaster is going to keep on rolling. Fair enough. Now, I will grant you that as far as first issues go, it wasn't the most necessarily uh, new reader friendly. No. But I enjoyed reading this. I thought the art, by and large, was pretty good. The backup stuff was a little bit rough, yes. But I'm giving this book a buy it. I'm really happy to have Uncanny X-Men back. And I'm excited for all this Age of X-Men stuff that's coming up. I think it sounds like total fun. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I probably will like it when it settles down and it's just this main team and these main artists and whatnot. I, I bet I will. But this felt like a lot of filler to me. Whatever, dude. Joe Patrick, your turn. All right. 
My review for this week is Bitter Root, number one from Image Comics, written by David F. Walker and Chuck Brown with art by Sanford Green. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. In the 1920s, the Harlem Renaissance is in full swing, and only the Sangiri family can save New York and the world from the supernatural forces threatening to destroy humanity. But the once great family of monster hunters has been torn apart by tragedies and conflicting moral codes. The Sangari family must heal the wounds of the past and move beyond their differences, or sit back and watch a force unimaginable evil ravage the human race. Oh, damn. I know, sounds bad. David Walker's work has always been a bit hit and miss with me, uh, and I am not familiar with the work of Chuck Brown, but still, I love a good family hunts monsters together story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a familiar trope seen in shows like Supernatural and Charmed, but I am a sucker for it. Here, Walker and Brown take the concept to a setting we don't often see in comics, 1920s New York, Harlem to be exact. The writers maybe lean into the familiar a little too far. The Sangiri family are archetypes seen all over comics, movies, and TV. The wise matriarch, the brute with a genius intellect, the young girl that fights against her family's expectations. You get the idea. However, the characters are likable, and the more prevalent racism of the era adds another layer to the story. Plus, there is a brutally satisfying scene at the end of the issue that introduces another member of the family that I am eager to meet. I really love Sanford Green's art here, especially his background work. He really captures the essence of Prohibition-era New York uh, with his, like, kind of crumbling buildings and uh, old-timey water towers, and his costume design is terrific. His faces get a little wonky at times, but I really enjoy the variation in his character designs, and Rico Renzi's muted palette of greens and purples is a perfect fit. Hey, Image, I had to go online and Google this book to find out who colored it because you don't include credits pages in your review copies. Do better. Bitterroot is a fun new take on the familiar monster-hunting family trope set against the unfamiliar backdrop of 1920s Harlem, the characters seem a bit cookie cutter, but I love the concept and that final scene was killer. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, the art was really good. I did like Sanford Green's art. I almost feel like they did the cookie cutter characters the way they did to introduce that other family member and shake it up a little more. Maybe. Yeah, that might be. I yeah. Mean, that's how I took it. And I'm hoping that's where they go with it. And if they are, great. I'm giving it a buy it too. And I'd look forward to reading more. Well, all right. That is a double buy it for Bitterroot number one and a buy it and a skim it for Uncanny X-Men number one. We'll post our written reviews over at tooitednerd.com so the creators can throw drinks at their computer screens while reading them. But we want to hear from you too. Call us, email us, tweet at us, Facebook us, write your opinions on a sealed mint inbox Marvel Masterworks Sentinel and mail it to us. Those things are going for like 200 bucks. They're worthless. Oh. Just use them to convey your message and get it in the mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever works for you, but we need to know what you thought of these comics. Well, it didn't look like we were going surfing at first, but Joe and I do, in fact, find ourselves aboard a cosmically charged surfboard riding a blue wave into America, where things just might be okay again. But we can't worry about that right now, Joe Patrick. We got to review eight more comics during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Firefly, number one for Boom! Greg Pack and Dan McDade bring us the untold tales of the Serenity crew, and I forgot just how much I missed them. Pack gets the character voices just right, and Dan McDade and Marcello Costa's fantastic art delivers the familiar characters without leaning on photo-referencing the actors. This is set before the events of the film, and everyone you know and love from the show is there. I am happy to have Firefly stories back on an ongoing basis, and the new series is off to a great start. Buy it. I love Dan McDade. I, I yes. officially love it. Me too. Alien 3, the unproduced screenplay number one from Dark Horse. William Gibson's unproduced Alien 3 script gets the comic book treatment with help from the artist with the best name in the business, Johnny Christmas. In this version, Hicks and Newt lived, and Ripley and the gang are picked up by a group of organized colonists calling themselves the UPP. Johnny's art is tremendous, and Gibson's script feels pitch perfect. I have no earthly idea why this wasn't made. But don't get me wrong, I really like David Fincher's Alien 3. I'm giving this a bite. 
Does uh, UPP stand for the United Federation of Planets? I think so. Yes. All right. Good. United Just check Pederast it. Plan or something. Oh no! Oh boy! <laughs> Wonder Woman number fifty-eight from DC. Ms. Marvel writer G. Willow Wilson makes her debut here, accompanied by the phenomenal art of Carrie Nord, who so I did not so I did good. not know was coming onto the book. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, he's so good. Steve Trevor has gone MIA, and Diana throws herself in the middle of a tense political situation trying to find him. Meanwhile, creatures of myth are finding themselves displaced on Earth with no way home. This was a great start to Wilson's run, channeling a bit of the Gal Gadot movie vibe. I have no confidence that Nord will stick around because that guy does like three issues and then bounces. That's not true. He did a yeah, lot. He sometimes did some that's very true. solid runs of value. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, whatever. I'll take his art any chance I get it. One Woman 58 gets a huge buy it. The Black Order, number one from Marvel. Well, I'm not particularly interested in Thanos lackeys, the Black Order, or Infinity Wars for that matter. I am a huge fan of Philip Tan's art, and his sharp line detail is on amazing display here. Derek Landy's script is fine, and what you'd expect from this dour and wordy group of space murderers, with a little unexpected humor even. I actually enjoyed the side cast a little more than the Black Order themselves, but I will say their sci-fi meets death metal dialogue did make me smile a couple times. It's just hard to get invested in single-minded killing machines, even if they do quip here and there, giving it a skim. Electric Warriors, number one from DC. Hundreds of years after the time of Commandy's great disaster, humanity maintains an uneasy coexistence with the sapient animals and stands ready to join the intergalactic community by selecting two representatives to join the ranks of the Electric Warriors in gladiatorial combat. Man, this one's just like ripped from the headlines, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> from the mind of Steve Orlando with brilliant art by Travel Foreman and Hi-Fi, this is insane, high-concept superhero science fiction set between Jack Kirby's post-apocalypse and the futuristic utopia of the Legion of Superheroes. I didn't always understand what was going on, but it was a wild, beautiful ride. I'm giving Electric Warriors number one a buy it. I straight up did not understand what was going on. I am also giving it a buy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I didn't care. I was like, this is so weird. I love it. <laughs> Life is Strange, number one from Titan. I didn't know it when I picked this one up, but Life is Strange is also a video game adaptation, or at least a story that happens after the events of Life is Strange, of the Life is Strange game that I've never heard of. Here, a multiracial group of ultra hipsters spout dialogue that sounds like someone's idea of what a multiracial group of ultra hipsters might sound like, and it made my eyes roll so much I may have missed the plot. I know something bad happened to a girl, might be able to reverse time with some kind of power. No, well, something bad happened to a different girl. Oh, oh, sorry. And the main character girl can reverse time. Do I need to play this game to understand about this or to care about the story? If so, I mean, I'm giving it a leave it. If not, and I miss something, fuck it. I'm still giving it a leave it. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it sounds like the story of the game. Okay. I just didn't I just didn't know, and they certainly didn't spell anything out for me. Mr. Miracle, number 12 from DC. Did Scott bleed out on the bathroom floor in issue one? Is this hell? Maybe it's heaven. After 12 issues and more than a year with this series, I still have no concrete idea what happened or what writer Tom King was trying to say. What I do know is that I have been captivated by every single page of this series, thanks in no small part to the stunning work by artist Mitch Gerrids. And real or not, Reward or torture, I was kind of touched by the ending that Scott and Barda earned. Mr. Miracle number 12 gets a buy it. It's a character piece. It doesn't matter. That's what they just like lost. It's Is this in continuity? Piece. Does this take place in continuity Maybe. or not? It doesn't matter. It's a character piece. It was about okay. the character. It was so good. Okay. So like, good. I enjoyed it. God of War, number one from Dark Horse. Just in time for the latest God of War PS4 game, Chris Roberson gives us a prequel story of Kratos going into the woods to test himself by trying to control his rage while fighting beasts and constantly reminding the reader that he's trying to control his rage. <laughs> Kratos is also a jerk to his kid and tangles with the wrong bear. Not much to get invested in here, but maybe Kratos is a better character to play than to read about. Tony Parker's art is a little stiff at times, but very solid and perfectly violent. Video game adaptations are very difficult. I don't envy anyone with the job of writing them. That said, God of War gets a skin. Yeah, I didn't do much for me, and I love the game. I didn't do. By the way, his name is Kratos. Kratos. 
With a long A. Cardos. Got it. Carlos, the god of war. (laughs) That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of Artemis and Bizarro having a, quote, right old ding-dong. Unquote. Like you do. As seen in the pages of Red Hood and the Outlaws, Volume 4, the trade paperback. This onomatopoeia was submitted by stately Lord Fungus via the Twitter. He speaks British, so we don't always understand what he's talking about. Yeah, we'll let you decide what he means by a right old ding-dong. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, write it on your ding-dong and take a pic, shoot it to us, or... Don't do that. Don't just do send that. it to any, or just send your onomatopoeia to any of our social media. Do not do that thing. You can email us at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Remember, there's nothing wrong with ding-dong picks when they are requested. But you better make damn sure. Yeah, it's only impolite when when your ding-dong pick was not requested. (laughs) (laughs) Now that Matt has cut the dead weight of the THN Fantasy Football League, he's fallen in with some new cool kids to play with, and guess how that's working out for Mr. 4 and 5. What a loser. Let's head down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum and give him shit while he frets over his lineup. What the hell are you doing? Is that Phil Grayfield, Marvel's failed football-themed hero of the early 90s Super Bros series you have strung up nude, blindfolded, and upside down? No, this is a private matter between me, Super Pro, and the fantasy football gods. I need a win this week. They need blood, and Phil's got more than enough. Buddy, remember what happened when you sacrificed Jack Magnaconte from Kicker's Inc. last year? I lost in the first round of the Consolation Playoffs. That's right. That's right. You lost. So instead of murdering Phil, why don't we tell these nerds about our must-read picks for next week, and then we can take a look at your lineup together. Thanks, Joe. My pick for next week goes to GoBots. Joe tried to steal it from you me. You some bitch. But I'm taking it back from IDW. Written and illustrated by Tom Cioli. 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. GoBots have changed our way of life. Leader One is a self-aware fighter jet on a hostage rescue mission with his partner, Commander Nick Burns. Scooter is a personal transport and best friend to undergrad AJ Foster. Turbo is Matt Hunter's transforming race car in the hottest sport in America, GoBot Racing. Psykill <laughs> is the champion of the illegal underground GoBot Fighting League, a sophisticated sci-fi epic from the visionary creator that brought you Transformers vs. G.I. Joe. They say they're here to help us, but are they here to replace us? From the creative mind that brought you IDW's Transformers vs. G.I. Joe. How many times are we going to say that? Visionary creator Tom Scioli unleashes his imagination on the bizarre, absurd, and wonderful world of GoBots the GoBots. <laughs> yeah. Man. Tom Scioli is a crazy person, a well-documented crazy person who makes crazy comics. See his Transformers G.I. Joe. If you never got a chance, go pick up his Godland that he did with Joe Casey. If you get a chance, it, was that Tom Scioli? That was Tom Scioli. That's where I first fell in love with him. Oh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. He has a bizarre Kirby-esque cartoonish art style that he has let wander into the psychedelic mind of a seventh grader. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, it's like all of your favorite. Uh, imaginary like childhood mashups come to life right like when you were playing and you were pretending like oh man this guy's this guy and this guy's this guy so and fighting. cool joe what's your pick my pick for next week is GoBots, number one from idw written right, and illustrated fine. by tom scioli we get it we both picked for the 32 same pages thing. for 3.99 <laughs> uh, i'm not gonna read the solicit again but i am also excited for GoBots. Eat shit, Matt. I think it it just looks ridiculous, and I love it. And you can't screw up the GoBots. No. No one's going to be like, oh, my childhood. Do you know why? Because the GoBots <laughs> suck. Yeah, the GoBots were knockoff toys. <laughs> the toys were awful. They were uh, knockoff. But I did watch the hell out of, that, out of that cartoon, though. I did buy the toys, too. I don't know why. Um, I it was ended up gifted a few. There were even knockoff GoBots that weren't even real GoBots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, but they were, like, identical. It was ridiculous, yeah. yeah. I remember I had an aunt that couldn't figure it out and kept buying me GoBots. I know. And I was it's like, like what? No. God. If it's on. not in a big box made out of metal, what I don't want it. Fucking dollar store? Get out of here, Aunt Debbie. Come on. God, Debbie, get your shit together. The THN trade of the week goes to form of a question. Hardcover. GN. From Boom Studio. It stands for graphic novel. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Written by Andrew Roston, illustrated by Kate Kazanow. It's 144 pages 
for $17.99. Pretty good. What a steal. Yeah. Here's your solicit. It's a hardcover. Andrew Rostan is excellent at remembering facts and recalling the memories he associates with those facts. Memories of deaths in the family and extraordinary people. At the age of 22, and suddenly a contestant on the very game show he associates with the happiest moments of his life, Rostan's about to realize that existence is like jeopardy and that all the answers are staring you in the face if only you ask the right questions. Form of a Question is a moving memoir from writer Andrew Roston, who also wrote an elegy for Amelia Johnson, along with artist Kate Casanow, who worked on All Saints Day, and Jenna Ayub. Right? Ayub. Ayub. A-Y-O-U-B. Sorry, Jenna. Adventure Time Comics. Ayub! <laughs> that revisits one of the most formative moments in his life and reveals how a chance opportunity to appear on a game show taught him much more about living than he knew he needed. He is the little kid from Magnolia the Pete, right? <laughs> Uh, I love books like this where it's like slice of life biography comics that are like tied to important pop culture. Like yeah. we, re- we reviewed that graphic novel about the kid that grew up obsessed with Queen. You remember yeah. that? That book was awesome. That was excellent. Uh, and this just looks super fun about how much Jeopardy meant to this guy growing up and then he got to be on it. Yeah. Super great. Those are our picks for Wednesday, November 21st. But we want to know what you nerds are reading too. So tell us what you're excited to read and be sure to add these titles and anything else that you plan on picking up to your pull files now. Every now and again, some poor comic creator decides to drag their good name through the mud by sitting down for an interview with this two-headed beast for a segment we like to call Inside the Comic Studio. We're workshopping new titles, I though. I hate that name. Matt's, Matt's not satisfied I with it. I fucking hate that name. I came up with it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Today, we're welcoming our friend Jim Kettnerd to the Ziggurat. Kett is a 40-year-old cartoonist in Portland living with his pup, Tortellini, who is awesome. 40-year-old cartoonist. You make money doing that? What? When's this kid going to grow up? Probably I mean, not. Come on. Probably not much. Cat <laughs> uh, is the artist and co-author of Ink in Water, a graphic novel we talked about on the show a lot. He teaches comics for Oregon College of Art and Craft, as well as for California College of the Arts MFA in Comics program. People go to college for that? What, are you kidding me? Jesus. What, what do they do? What? They study like Mighty Mouse? Why can't what? you be more like your brother? Come on. Cat. <laughs> Welcome to the Ziggurat. It's about damn time. I know. I mean, I mean, it was kind of hazardous getting in here. I mean, I had to like dodge all those mummies in the in the tunnel. Whoa, and, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't talk about and, this, okay? If don't, everybody don't knows what they're secrets. getting into, come on. You, you have to remember. Right, okay. You have to remember that in the original Hebrew, Jehovah starts with an I. <laughs> yeah, you step on all, the right tiles. It's all part of it. Let's get right into it, man. Uh, the first thing I noticed mystery. about your adult crash book was actually the back page. It says, older threat, and it's got a black sheep that looks just like the old minor threat t-shirt. I love it. And he's wearing, uh-huh. <laughs> he's got a toque on. He's got yeah, a little yeah, hat. a little red beanie. Tell me about older threat. This is your brand. Uh, this, well, <laughs> I just, this is just something I, uh, I mean, it's part of the whole like adult crash idea, right? Is, um, you know, I grew up with, uh, you know, in the punk and hardcore scene, which is a primary, it's a youth culture. Uh, and what does that mean when you're 40? <laughs> it means you're too old to be there now. <laughs> yeah. I'm well, in the same boat, but, you know, <laughs> like I yeah, was yeah, yeah. No, more the metal scene. There's still a bunch of old weirdos. So like, that's okay. You know? Well, well no, no, sure. No, no but, but I mean like, but the thing is like punks, you know, some, some punks are in it for life. We're, we're, we're lifers and it's just sort of, um, it's a little bit of that identity crisis of, of, of getting older in a, in a youth culture. And I'm sure it happens for any, you know, sort of youth based culture, but you know, I'm coming at it from, from punk rock. And so, yeah, this is just like my little version of, uh, of the minor threat sheep. I'm, it has my little red cap. I gave it a, a unibrow. I love uh, it. And future okay. versions. I'll, I'll probably <laughs> put little bags under the eyes. I love it. I totally <laughs> love it. So tell us about adult um, crash. What, how did this come together? What is it? Explain it to the kids here. Not everybody knows. Okay. All right. So I'm doing a, a comic called uh, Adult Crash Comics, and it started out actually as a as different uh, comic strips and short comics that I was doing online for a, a punk scene called Razor Cake. Um, I don't know if you've ever checked that one out, but yeah. it's a it's I a love Razor cool, Cake. Actually, consistent. 
Um, yeah, so I was doing some web strips for them. Um, and, you know, just sort of short comic strips, like eight panel comic strips about uh, getting old in the punk scene or like going to shows or like scene reports, you know, little, right. little things like that. And that was a, a sort of continuation of work I was doing earlier on a, a website called If You Make It that is currently defunct. But that, that's t- kind of how I got my start in web comics is this sort of music reporting uh, like with a twinge of memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, if you check out the issue, it's, it's pretty full into memoir, yeah. <laughs> but it's, but it still sort of has that background of, of, uh, it says on the cover, a coming of middle-aged memoir. That's kind of where it's at. It's, it's, a uh, this first volume is going to be really like a, like a family story. It has a lot to do with class identity and, uh, Really, uh, what I what I try to tell folks when they ask, like, kind of like what I'm writing about, I I, t- I tell them that it's like a really fucked up punk rock version of the Gilmore Girls. Cool, it's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. So all your stories are very personal. You've chosen like you're doing memoir stuff. You're doing coming of age stuff. Why are you working through things? Is this your way of dealing with stuff? Is this your way of you know you know what that I never you know if you if you caught me after after art school and when my under undergrad, I never would have thought I was doing comics like this. Right. I, um, I came from, you know, as you, as you guys know, from me calling to the show, like I'm a superhero nerd. I love science fiction. Uh, my undergrad, my thesis was this heady, you know, sort of wannabe Frank Herbert humanoid sci-fi graphic novel that Whoa. now like lives in a crate that will never be seen. Right. So there's there uh, lots of male and, nudity in it, like Frank Herbert stuff or, <laughs> Uh, it was uh, swinging dicks. Just a little bit of nudity. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, right. Humanoids. It was, <laughs> just, just, a, just a little bit. It was really like on the inky Bilal tip. Yeah, no, it was years later. It was really doing stuff for that website, uh, If You Make It. And I have to credit my, my friend, uh, cartoonist Liz Prince, for really getting me off my ass. Nice. I was just working. Um, I was living in Philadelphia at the time. You know, was, I was working. Well, this will come into me describing Idle Crash, but I was working as a house cleaner. And she, she started doing uh, the web comics and if you make it and she was like, look, like they, they want to recruit all these punk cartoonists, like you should do something. But, and she knew I had done this, you know, had worked, had drawn like over a hundred pages of this big sci-fi thing. She's like, you know, it has to be about, you know, music culture and it can only be two pages. And that was really the clincher it was like writing about myself and having it only be two pages. Wow. And that was the best I like that she was you like, know, we don't want your work. nerd shit. Okay. Look, <laughs> it, was, it was just nerdy. It was just nerdy in a different way, but right. it was, it was just so odd. Cause like Liz's background is doing, she's been doing autobiocomics since she started doing comics. And so it was really tough for me to like get into it, but I really found my rhythm and that's where I sort of started, you know, people started to know me for doing these, these uh, autobiographical and music web comics. And the, and the fact that I was only doing two pages at a time, like, really helps a young artist while I was like almost 30, I was around 30 at the time, but like build momentum, you know, towards, it was like, Oh, I did a two page comic. Great. I'm going to do another two page comic. Yeah, and yeah. instead of feeling like the weight of this big project, I just was able to do these short stories. And then I started doing more comics in that vein for silver sprocket bicycle club, which is a, a, a publisher out of the Bay area. And they do an anthology book called as you were, which again is sort of a print version of what, the as you were folks were uh, what the if you make it guy was trying to do in terms of uh curating a group of punk rock cartoonists Very and that's cool. really what that whole publisher is built is built around but i wanted to talk a little bit about your process uh now that we're kind of on the subject uh you have like a very clean line but it's also like you don't always like close all your lines and you kind of flesh it out oh, with, yeah. with the monochrome shading uh which i love um but like what do you, what are your steps when you sit down to, to crank out a comic page? You work digitally. Uh, yeah. do you use, um, what is it like Photoshop or. I use a, a program called clip studio and oh, sure, yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah, the, um, it uh, used to be you, called yeah, manga be, studio, right? Yeah. It used to be called, um, manga studio. And now, now it's, uh, now it's clip studio, I guess. I don't know. Like they have a, I don't know what their branding thing is, is all about, but <laughs> anyways, like now I'm, now I'm pretty hooked on it as a way to make comics. And yeah, like you sort of, you, you know, you point, pointed out some of the stylistic approaches I'm going for. And can you tell I really love the Darwin Cook Parker novel? Oh, yeah. yeah I, can't, like, I would have never guessed. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, would, see, I didn't uh, see that at all. Yeah. Uh, this opening two page spread in front of the hospital uh, with the, um, the, the location and the date 
it's like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right out of uh, that's right out of Parker. Okay, so on that yeah, opening yeah, two yeah. page spread on something like that, how long does that take you when you sit down and you go, okay, I pictured this and I know what I want this to look like from how, s- from sketch to finished yeah. page? How long does that take to do I, a two page spread? Well, one of the, one of the things that's great about working digitally is basically I work in digital thumbs, which means I don't have to transfer anything. So I'm doing these loose yeah. story drawings, and I will figure out the writing and the pacing. Cause we are saying that's like, that's the really important part of comics. And I'll try to figure all that shit out first. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that might be a whole other step. I might like write the whole issue or at least the whole scene. And then when I go back to do the illustration, you know, that's like sort of a, se- a separate job. And so it's sort of tough to factor in with the writing, but if it's just the illustration part, I try to do like a page a day when I'm, when, if I have a full, wow. when I have like a good full work day to devote to it, I try to do a page a day. That's what I was doing when I was illustrating ink and water. Um, sometimes it doesn't quite get there. Like that, that double page spread, you know, it was, it was probably like a couple days, you know, or like a day and a half or something. I mean, it's a pretty simple game. You know what I mean? Like there's little details right. in there. Yeah. But right. I probably had most, of, I probably had most of it blocked out in a day. And then the next day I went back and I was like, snowflake or like Joe was saying, like, I'll take out a contour line. So okay. that's something that's, let me ask you this. I don't need to do digitally. It's I can just, I can just erase the ink. Right. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. a freedom a, that you don't have. in. so in as a guy that's not an artist, how do you know when you're done? Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a dumb question, but how do you know when you're done? When you looked at that panel, um, like, did, was there just something like, leave it the fuck alone? When you or get to like, the point that uh, adding more to it makes it worse. <laughs> when you yeah, fiddle with it enough that it starts to look terrible. That's one of those things I've always wondered yeah. about, especially with like artists like you, where you are trying to do sort of a, it's not minimalist, but you are not getting too busy. You're not letting your art get in the way of itself. How do you know oh, when to stop? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really tough. And I actually think I struggle. I still think that there's parts of this comic that are too busy, but you know, but it, like you said, like at a certain point you have to leave it alone. Right. Um, that is, and that's really hard. And that's, that's actually one of the things that, you know, kept me so stuck when I was working on that long sci-fi comic is like, uh, my, my background when I was in, in undergrad was really illustration more than cartooning. And so I always want to noodle and I'll always want to like add more if, if, given the chance. Right. right. Um, if you look at my website, you see some of my earlier work like that, that lends more to realism. I'll, I'll fucking tee off Darrow shit. Like if, if I'm not careful and I'm really trying to get more and more minimal, um, really deadlines is what, what teaches you to like, go okay, that makes sense. Even if they're self, <laughs> self, self-imposed. So I had a feeling that was there, it. that was in there somewhere. Just like, okay, you gotta stop. This is due. <laughs> It's, it's even if it's just if, even if it's just self-imposed. Even if you're just like I'm doing this page today. Right. There's no reason this should take more than today. I'm. It's going to be done. And and so then you find your you find your shortcuts. You you find what you're willing to like let go. And that stuff is real. Like um. And it's just like when I was saying doing those two page comics. Like those weren't perfect. But the whole idea was do two pages. Then just move ahead. Don't look back. Don't George Lucas this shit. Don't right. don't special edition <laughs> right. your work. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to make it better. You're, you know, the best thing you can do. And I tell my students this all the time is like, you make more comics, like the next, the next issue is going to be better. You know, sometimes I have students and they're like, oh, but like the art at the beginning doesn't look as good as the art at the end. And I just try to be like, you know, that's the same for every artist, you know, absolutely. The last volume of Scott, the last volume of Scott Pilgrim doesn't look anything like the first volume. Absolutely. And that's a perfect example of one guy that was working by Mm -hmm. himself doing the whole thing. Whereas like, I think a lot of these people that come into it, especially younger people, they look at comics that, that they think are amazing that are written by, you know, uh, like uh, Adrian Tomei and, and people like that or like, and they picture this one man army doing it. But like that guy has mastered his craft over years and years and years. Right. Yeah. You know? And also you and mentioned, like, you're not going to come in and just knock it out of the park. And like these other guys are teams nope. of people right. where like one jerk yep. is doing this and one guy is doing this and some assholes doing all the flattening and shit, you know, like, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you mentioned uh, Scott Pilgrim. Those books came out over the course of what, seven or eight years. Yeah. And if, yeah, like almost a decade and any <laughs> artist, any artist that doesn't look different eight years after they started, right. You're doing it. Wrong. Is not drawing enough. Yeah. You're absolutely doing it. Wrong. Right, right. Uh, so Jim, how do these nerds get a hold of your comic? Um, you guys can go to my website, uh, ketnerd.com, um, which I used, which I used to 
advertise on your show all the time. I know. And now it's a, a rare, a rare occurrence. Uh, but yeah, you can go to Kettner.com. I have a little web store on there and you could order copies of, of, uh, Adult Crash Comics number one, as well as, uh, some, some prints of some, uh, punk portraits that I was doing for, for Inktober. No, nice. That was super fun. Those were, those were getting back to pen and ink. And that what was really interesting about that was, was switching back to traditional media. I really feel like working digitally for a few years had like loosened up my ink stuff, yeah. you know, the yeah. my actual pen, pen and ink work. And that was nice. <laughs> so it was actually kind of fun to work traditionally again. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today in the ziggurat. <laughs> Once again, awesome. go to Jim's website. We'll have uh, links to it in our notes. It is ketnerd.com, right? Ketnerd.com. Yeah, Ketner. You can order adult crash with a D, with a D Ketnerd. There you go. Yeah. You can order this book. You can order his other books. You can order his Inktober prints and they are awesome. And you guys should do so. Jimmy, always nice to talk to you, brother. Thanks so much, guys. This is normally the part in the show where I would play a bump of Stan Lee yelling his signature Excelsior quote. But um, we recorded this show before Stan Lee died this week. And I just want to take a moment of silence right here and say thank you to Stan the Man, to Marvel's grandpa, to the guy that gave us Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and so much more. Thank you for making comics cool. I just want to take a moment of silence to recognize Stan Lee. Joe, we did it. We successfully wasted another 45 minutes to an hour of these jerks' time, depending on how much I choose to edit out, and that is it. For THN 506. But before we get out of here, I need you to set up a new question of the week. I'll do it. This week's question comes from Joe Benkis, aka Casual Comics Guy on the forums. Which comics character at this point is just coasting on their reputation? We can talk Big Two, Marvel DC, or indie comics that still ride an ever slowing wave of fandom. For example, why do we still keep talking about a Spawn movie? We don't. Todd, we don't. Only one person is talking about a Spawn movie, and that person is Todd McFarlane. And okay? Jamie Foxx. Oh, two please. people. At least two people. He's contractually obligated to do so. When was the last time Spawn was relevant? Uh, you could also ask, why are people so mad that the Vision series from Chelsea Kane got canceled? You could argue that the Vision is not a thing that Marvel should keep trying to shove down people's throats. Side note, if you take that position, I will knife fight you. To the pain. <laughs> so apparently, not to the death, to the pain. Like, Joe, right, stop stabbing it hurts. <laughs> Joe loves the vision. It's just a for instance. Hot take. I don't give a shit about the vision. I love the vision. I don't give a shit about the vision. We'll save it. How did the vision make babies? It was magic. It was. I know. Stupid. Uh, so to sum up, what is the comics equivalent of "Stop trying to make fetch happen"? Which is a quote from a movie that I had to look up because I'm old. Gotcha. Uh, or as Matt likes to put it, stop trying to make it a thing. Yeah, stop trying to make it a thing. THN is a listener. Why you got to go and do a thing? <laughs> THN is a listener supported podcast. We want to thank everyone that should be taking care of their hysterical magic pregnancies, but decides to throw money at us instead on our PayPal and Patreon. It technically would have been a hysterical magic pregnancy, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in the strictest sense, yes. With, without your nerds, we cannot afford the child support payments for our hysterical magic babies. Hysterical magical baby food is really expensive. It really is. My God. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Carl Bigfoot Jones as my homeboy Smith. As you may have heard, Carl sponsored the show for the past several weeks and we really appreciate his support. Not only that, but it's his birthday today. Uh, Where do you old man now? Everyone get over to his Patreon page and show him some loving. Word to you, Carl. Until next time, true believers remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just get you knocked up this is the two-headed nerd magically speaking yeah he might magically knock you up <laughs> pardon me they might magically knock yeah you right up. this is the two-headed nerd signing off <laughs>